Welcome to Cloudlandia, Mr. Sullivan. Ah, welcome. I, <clears throat> so when we start, is one of us in Cloudlandia and one of us in the mainland? And I think I'm just both. I think it's the uh, it's the connection that makes it Cloudlandia. I think it's one when two or more are gathered in the cloud yeah. that becomes Cloudlandia. Otherwise, we're just the mainland looking for a connection. That's got a that's got a great definitional quality to it. Yeah. And just a little checking here, the seat that you're sitting in, very comfortable for you? It's very comfortable. Yes. Me I too. Uh, I've got this I've got this very nice red leather chair. I'm in I'm in the house number one. I have a gas fireplace playing to the left okay. here because All right. I don't have the I don't have the benefit of Automatic sunshine, you know, uh, where I live. Yeah, so you make up for it. Well, I've had to um, come. I've had to come inside today because it is chilly today. It's you know fifty something degree. I almost had to wear socks today, Dan. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's so a mainland. That's a that's a mainland experience. That's it really definitely is. a main. That's a de definitely a mainland experience, and you know, so. What's the proper blend of mainland and Cloudlandia? You know, how do you simultaneously how do you simultaneously reinforce both experiences such that they a growth in one leads to a growth in the other? That's a great question. That's worth pondering. I mean, the whole I love. I've been thinking now about all these, you know, all these things that are mainland centered but cloudlandia enhanced you know like being able to have a conversation like i you know i really i miss our table 10 experiences where we would meet quarterly for breakfast you know that there's something to that that this sort of a it's a similar thing we get to have the conversation, but it's a different, it adds another dimension to it to be in person. You know, there's something, um, there's some depth to that, which I enjoy and miss. But I maybe, maybe we have to jointly invest in two table 10 situations. Like I would mm -hmm. have one in my basement, you would have one on your patio. And okay. we would agree, you know, we would do it directionally, like, uh, yeah. One of them is on the north side and one's on the south side, okay, one of the yeah. chairs. And, and both of us would be in our table 10 situation when we do our podcast. I'm a, I don't know. I don't think it's a replacement. I don't think it's a replacement, no. but um, maybe the chairs will, maybe the chairs will be the best we can do. This is where I think, Dan, like I, I've often thought about the, I'm not a big fan of the way that the VR is going where it requires putting a helmet on. You know, that's not, I don't, I just, I'm very resistant to that. But what well, I Well, you enjoy, can't see it as ever being normal. The problem is you can't no, see that, it ever. Um, that's the thing. If but it's something cannot, yeah. yeah, if something can't be normalized, then it's not really part of the future. Right. What I would much prefer is I could see, Dan, a table 10 sit up, set up where 
I've got, you know, half my half of the table. And then there's a, a screen, a big immersive screen that, yeah, four feet by four feet screen in front, in between us, which would be halfway between the table. And then you're sitting on your side and I'm looking mm-hmm. at this big monitor that's immersive that'd be like a, and I think we could do that with Zoom. You, that, mm-hmm. That's just a bigger monitor and stuff. That I think would be, would be a great thing. And I'm, I would much rather have that. Like I, I've said before, I would be a big fan of like a holodeck, you know, if you say like a Star Trek term, where a room in our mm-hmm. home is like all sides screen that now you're in a, you know, you're in an alternate anywhere mm-hmm. that you want to be. Mm-hmm. To me, I think it is great. The studio where I do my podcasts now, my video things, they have a giant AR wall that is like, you know, 12 by 20. That's all, you know, 8K LED. You could literally be anywhere. You know, it's, it's something. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're being guided by their their design knowledge to build our new mm-hmm. studio in Toronto. So, perfect. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And we're you know we have a basement in our Toronto office where which you know was destroyed by the flood, mm. feet of water, wa- and you had water great, and yeah. You had a great podcast studio down there already. It was really. Yeah, well, I did, and it was a. Its previous existence was as a post-production studio for the movie industry in Toronto. So they had floating floors and you know the glass booth, <laughs> but for podcast purposes, you don't really need that. I mean, it right. was overqualified. Over, uh, yeah, it was over overqualified, and technology's taken a jump. That's a twenty-five-year-old, you know, build-in. And technology's taken a huge jump. And so this is, we're going to have a full video studio, two full audio studios, and then a meeting room lounge, you know. So I always feel you have to have a cafe if you're being a serious, creative human. You have to have a, you have, to have a cafe. And so we'll have a cafe meeting room with tables and everything like that. I love and, that. Uh, yeah. So, so anyway, yeah, I'm looking at it. I'm, but I was reading a couple articles this week. One was on Apple is trying to get into the augmented universe and they've got it down to goggles, you know, mm-hmm. like ski goggles. And they think they, you know, and what they're finding is an absence of check writers who want to purchase the experience. And right. the same thing, Meta, you know, with, you know, the, you know, the Android previously known as yeah. Facebook is now gone through a name change to become Meta. And they're mm-hmm. just not buying. The biggest problem they're having is they can't get, they can't even get their employees to buy into it because they're right. supposed to start having their meetings and Meta. I mean, you'd think if you're going to sell it to your customer yeah. base, you'd want your employees, but the employees think it sucks. You know, right? And, uh, yeah, and uh, so you know, we may hit a an experiential wall here, you know, with mm-hmm. technology that we have a sense of what's comfortable experience, and when you ask us to give up, I mean, the universe I'm 
sitting in now is fully sensory. It's fully sensory. Mm -hmm. You know, I can look around here and you're depriving a person of a lot of senses. Touch is one of them. Smell is another one. Yeah. And everything. I can't see how asking people to give up primary senses to experience something new is a move forward. Yeah, I can't either. It's real. I was looking, I saw a video on, yeah, the consumer electronics show that was like highlighting the best of 2023. And they showed the VR, like all the VR things in the area and everybody's got their helmets on and their, you know, the newest thing now, Dan, is these muffler things that you put in your, on your, over your mouth to muffle your screams and shouting and voice stuff. So you don't, you're not disturbing everybody in the house. It just makes you look so, I mean, just observing people in that world, in that mm. full on, you know, you mm. got your things and your haptic suit and your, all the things that try and make VR as close to the real thing as possible make you just so far from reality on observation from the mainland. Looking at people Mm -hmm. in this is so, it's so ridiculous. You've got to suit up, you know? Yeah, which eats into into productivity, you know? I mean, you know, the one thing you don't want to do is give people the sense of being less productive. And anytime you ask them to go through more emotions and t- yeah. put out more effort and take up more it's time. It's a conscious choice, right, exactly. But it doesn't, re- doesn't produce any bigger result. You're, you know, you're trying to climb a waterfall, you know, I mean, it's, uh, mm-hmm. you're trying to swim up a waterfall. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've been thinking about it a lot because some interesting things have been happening over the last two or three months. Mm-hmm. One is the mass rings of hundreds of thousands of tech workers in the main tech companies. And the other thing is that their valuations have dropped collectively. If you take the big five, Google and Apple and Facebook mm-hmm. and, you know, Amazon and who else know, you know, uh, yeah, well, uh, Tesla, mm-hmm. I think Tesla would be one of them, anything. And uh, well, just drop their they, prices by 20%. Yeah, well, they've dropped three trillion. You know, I mean, you know, they're starting to use trillion uh-huh. as a measurement now, and they've dropped three trillion. And there's a general, and then they're finding spooky stuff. You know, Elon Musk's revelations of every couple of days showing where some government official or some corporate official was planning and striving to do dodgy things on t- Twitter. Twitter. And they're developing that they're starting to take on a creepy quality. Mm-hmm. That they're, yeah, they're, and I was reading a review of a book that was written in the 1930s by an, a test, an Italian philosopher. She, you, get, get the hell out of here. Get the hell out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she's a, Demotivator. I mean, she right off mm-hmm. the bat, she's, a, she's an artificial demotivator. Okay, and that that that's sort of the type of person you're glad you didn't marry, you know. And uh, anyway, 
yeah. You know, and uh, anyway, she, this philosopher, his name is Del Noche, D-E-L, one word, J-N-O-C-E, Oh, Augusto, I guess, August, Augusto Del Noche. And he's talking about the tendency that everything after a while, if you pursue technology down a line, it affects the kind of government you have to have. It affects the type of corporation you have to have. And they take on similar qualities. The corporations and the government take on similar kind of qualities. And he labels the resulting society that's more or less dominated by technology, technology, government, corporate kind of integration with each other. He calls it techno-fascism. Techno-fascism. <laughs> okay. And, and I was thinking about it because there's been the big news stories of the last week, been finding all sorts of improper, top secret in many cases, but certainly classified documents in the various think tank centers and garages and houses of mm-hmm. the current president of the United States. Yeah. And and the media, who are on his side, because the previous president, his palace in in Palm Beach was raided, and oh, they I were yeah, you know they were finding doc boxes of documents and everything, and but of course that was bad, and the current president oh, doing yeah. it that that was sort of sloppiness on his part, <laughs> sort of sloppiness, you know. Yeah, you know he's yeah. known to not be all there all the time, and you know he just you know messed up. But it was near his prized Corvette, so oh yeah, uh, yeah, that would give a certain amount of forgiveness to the illegal act. And uh, I mean, isn't but, it amazing but, how the when it was Donald Trump was that you know they were they you know discovered and, and raided and seized government document I mean, all the you know language that was and he was things. withholding that he was withholding, oh, yeah, withholding. Them. He, yeah he was withholding them yeah yeah but the interesting thing is biden is a really interesting person and i'm going to relate him to trudeau our prime minister here in canada and that biden first of all he represents all his life before he was president or vice president president he he represents the state of Delaware. And Delaware comes the closest in the United States being a state that's actually just a corporation. It's not very big. It's not very big. I'm not sure it even has a million people in it. It's essentially a suburb of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. But the primary corporation going back to the 1700s was DuPont, you know, and it it was like DuPont was a corporation that owned a state. You know, now it's all the credit card companies and all the credit card companies in the United States, or if you want to do business as a credit card company in Delaware, you go in in the United States, you go to Delaware because Delaware charges no income tax. They just charge a fee for Uh you having your corporate status. Uh My sense is that if you take technology and you think of the its unifying of corporations and government. Joe Biden may be the most veteran techno-fascist leader we've had in the history of the United States. He's a techno-fascist. 
And one of, one of the things that they say about techno-fascists is that you're doing everything for the good of the people. You know, you're doing everything for the good of the people because you kind of want to lull them to, you know, you want to give them a soporific because then you can control all their activities and everything else. So my sense is the temptation is there. I mean, we're moving back and forth between this, you know, the physical world and the the digital world. And you have to be aware that there's ways of misusing this crossover between Cloudlandia and the physical world. And I think techno-fascism is really good. It's got some bite to it, you know. I mean, you talk about Nazis. Say, don't, oh, don't say Nazis, you know, Nazis, you know. They're dead and gone and everything else. And, you know, you know you're a communist, Soviet communist. Don't say Soviet communist. But hardly anyone really knows that fascism was really the first successful, first successful kind of anti, you know, anti democratic human anti that really worked it worked from around for 25 years it was actually and both stalin and hitler really studied mussolini because mussolini had really created something very successful but after uh-huh. the war everybody said well nazism is gone and then after the cold war communism is going what if there was a creep in the closet called fascism and that just came out and it infiltrated all the large corporations and the technology companies and, you know, the university system and, you know, the federal bureaucracies and everything else. There's this fascism, creepy fascism, and they're using oh. technology and the impact of technology on people to gain control of the people. Dr. Fauci for example, was a techno-fascist. You know, uh, he, had, he had the makings. Of so, a, I mean, like, what are philosophical, you know, or ideological boundaries kind of thing? They're going to take on, I guess, the biases of the creators of these yeah. kind of things. I was thinking about what, because I've been seeing now everybody, you know, chat GPC is the new, you know, tulips right now. Everybody is completely crazy about chat GPT. And that's the big thing. And I was, I've been the people really who are crazy. About, the people who are crazy about it are really crazy about it. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, this was, this is like, you know, we've seen like a couple of years ago, everybody was crazy about Clubhouse. And a couple of years, you know, last year it was NFTs were like the crypto. That's all the thing. And now it seems like nobody's really talking about crypto and except for, you know, what a shady situation a lot of those things got into. But yeah. it's completely like full force chat GPT and the language mm-hmm. building up around it, prompting and, you know, prompt craft and all of the stuff that that's the skill that's going to make it work. And I was thinking, you know, what's going on? What does this mean, actually? Like, if we fast forward, like push the accelerator pedal on this, what's going to be the outcome? Yeah. You know, well, I think it, first of all, I think there's a, first of all, I think that there's a strong trait of utopianism in, in, you know, in society. And I think that America didn't have fascism, fascism, you know, 
it's never been a part of American language or discussion or to fascism. But there was a word progressivism. And if you go back and look where fascism started, progressivism starts at the same time. And for example, the first fascist president that the United States had was Woodrow Wilson. He was from 1912 to 1920. And he hated the U.S. Constitution. Okay, hated the Constitution. He was a professor. He was a history and philosophy professor. And then he became governor, I think, of New Jersey, might have been New Jersey. And then he was nominated and was elected. And he said the Constitution was created by a bunch of 18th century people who were dealing with an agricultural economy. Okay. And what they wrote and what they stipulated and the structure they put in place, it doesn't work in a mass industrial production system where we have brand new technologies all the time. So he said that we have to take power out of the hands of the elected officials and out of the hands of the voters. And we have have to give it to the experts. And these are experts in fields of knowledge that the elected officials can't possibly know and the voters can't possibly know. But this expertise is crucial to the development of the United States as an industrial power in the world. You know, so and um, that's a real good description. So what we have to do is we have to get the experts from government to work with the experts of the corporations, and they'll create the road ahead, not only economically, but politically, socially, and culturally for the head. That's fascism. That's fascism. You know, and, and, and so there was nothing that happened in the First World War, Second World War, or the Cold War, they got rid of that belief. I think there's just a lot of people who believe that, you know, we should have the experts talking to each other. And if a crisis comes up, we have to have experts. We have to give them dictatorial powers. We gave Dr. Fauci dictatorial powers. You know, even the president of the United States obeyed him. You know, the United, you know, he says, this is what you have to do now. This is what you do. And, and so Dr. Fauci, I think is, you know, you know, I mean, he'll be seen in the future as, you know, if things go in a way for the country, he'll be seen as Dr. Evil. You know, he's sort of, uh-huh. Dr., sort of Dr. Evil, you know, and, and yeah, and he's got weird things about him. Somebody interviewed him in this house, wall to wall, floor to ceiling, is filled with portraits of himself. Oh, really? Wow. Of him. Yeah. Yeah. Drawings and, and photos and everything. And these are paintings and drawings and sketches and photographs wow. that people have sent, sometimes just of himself, sometimes with other people. And yeah. he said, well, I have to show them because it would be impolite to the person if they ever came and visited. They ever came uh-huh. and visited, and they said, "Well, where's the picture I sent you?" So he's just, but he's just surrounded by pictures of Dr. Fauci looking out at Dr. Fauci. So right. I don't know if that <laughs> indicates. I don't know if that indicates anything 
off or anything creepy, but it would for me, you know, would for me. I feel a bit creeped out by that. Wow. I, it is. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah. So, so the big thing, the big thing is the, there's actually two things that counteract techno-fascism. One is entrepreneurs who create new things and, and people who are workers who do productive work in creating the new practical things that are useful and right. make life more productive. So I think that yeah. I think it's actually I think it's actually creators and productive creators and I've producers. Been wondering, like what is everybody where, what is the ramifications of everybody having access to a you know a digital content sweatshop basically staffed with infinite high school honor students at your beck and call <laughs> for free and that's mm-hmm. what chat gpt really falls into right it's this digital content creation sweatshop that we could just like order people to do this. It seems like what I'm watching the horse race of these things and it all unfold. Of course, writing books, there's every, you know, all the way now. It's funny how the evolution of new technology, it starts and then it's how to use it and then how to make money with it and how to make money passively. And the, you know, the new thing is writing eBooks and selling them on, Amazon, like getting, you know, chat GPT to write your book for you. And it just, I don't know, Dan, there's something about the, well, first of all, first of all, is there, you know, they, I got a couple of things. Do they own the property that they create or is it automatically the ownership of the medium that uses it? Yeah, I mean, I they, might, they might get a small fee for it, but if they're, they're the creator, but does the creator actually own what they create? Okay, so that's, that's number a good one. Question. Yeah, number two, does it make anything more productive? You know, Well, um, that's what I wonder. That's my point, is that I think we're reaching a point where now, we already talked about how much content is created right now, and I just did some update on the thing. So the latest numbers, and I don't have the exact numbers, Dan, but in the four, you know, four million something hours, mid four million hours a day are posted on YouTube right now. And so that I did the math and it would take you 432 years to consume one day's worth of uploads on YouTube. The interesting thing is, Collectively, we consume mid five million hours content per day. So there's a shortfall still of new con- all this content. There's still you know we consume at a rate greater than than it's yeah. Being somebody's consumed. watching something from yesterday. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true, right? Yeah, like you wonder yeah. that, but I wonder. I mean, if it's four million is. new, you have to multiply that by three hundred and sixty-five yeah. because it tells you what the total yeah. new content yeah, right. for the year is. Yeah, yeah. No wonder I'm after the lifetime extender. No wonder I'm pushing for the lifetime extender. Yeah, <laughs> I think you know if you look at it on a curve, it would be that the 
creation of content is going up, up on a daily basis. Yeah. The daily consumption is going up, you know, slightly, but will reach, uh, uh, there's a limit to it. There's a limit, yeah. a constraint to that. But the actual daily consumption collectively compared to the total available content is going to be going lower and lower and lower. Like you're consuming some lowering, infinitely lowering, increasingly lowering percentage of the available content. Because you're right that when you're creating this digital content is adding to the pile, right? So that's getting 436 new years every day is being added to the pile. And you're right, those Mm -hmm. 5 million that we're consuming are not all the new stuff. It's not that it's only the new. Yeah. Yeah, and and what I think, you know, I left off the last podcast with my three rules for staying cool and calm, which are everything's made up, nobody's in charge, and life's not fair. Uh And I've been testing this on various people, and they're intrigued by it. I can't say that they're immediately transformed by it, but I've not found anyone not intrigued by it. Okay. And, And then each of them generates a discussion. You know, they say, well, when you say everything's made up, what do you mean? Well, everything that is part of the human experience oh. takes place in thoughts and words was made up at some point. So, you know, there was a point when somebody made it, made, made up the word technology. There was a word when so, somebody made up the word fascism. There was a word when somebody made up Cloudlandia, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I said, and I just want you to do because sometimes it's forgotten because there's this feeling that there are things that are just real, you know. And I said, mm-hmm. well, we make things real. You know, humans make things real. Um, you know, and like I was talking to a fairly radical environmentalist in the sense that they would be incensed about 80 or 90% of what I believe is actually happening with the climate and everything else. So they would be outraged about that. And I says, well, we can't destroy nature because we created nature. And she said, we created nature. I said, yeah, until somebody said the word nature, there was no nature. When You have to name something before there's any reality to it. you know. And then there's nature, and now people can discuss nature. And the thing, because before we made up the word nature, it was just a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And she said, well, that's outlandish. That's outlandish. I said, yeah, but you have to realize that your belief about the environment, you all made, you made that up. I said, no, nobody else has the explanation for this in their heads that you have in your head. So you made up mm-hmm. your explanation and that goes for me too. That goes for yeah. me too. Yeah. The only difference is that you think that there's a thing called nature that exists independently of human experience, and I'm saying there isn't, okay? And she says, well, if you took away all the human beings, it would still be there. And I said, no, it wouldn't be because there'd be no human beings to experience it. If a tree falls in the forest, right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And she said, and then things would be better. I said, well, better you know, there there would be nobody to experience better. 
you know, if you took all the human beings away, we're the only ones who can experience better. We're the only ones who can experience bigger. So, so anyway, and then the, nobody's in charge. And I said, well, I said, if you think somebody's in charge, spend some time with them and ask them, do they feel like they're in charge? And most of them said, I hope people notice that I'm actually not in charge. You know, it's sort of the only thing that keeps me in charge is the belief that other people see me that way. And, uh, you know, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with everything's made up and there's nothing wrong with there's nobody in charge and life's not fair. And I said, there's nothing wrong with life's not fair. And they said, well, you know, it just means that there's all this unfairness. And I said, well, yeah, but have you seen any evidence of it being any other way? I haven't seen any evidence of it not being fair. I mean, you can make it fair for yourself and you can extend your fairness to other people. But that's you made can up. also make and it unfair for you. And yeah. you're in charge. And yeah. you're in charge, you know. Uh-huh. So it's an interesting thing that you can take any belief and you can say, well, you know, somebody made up this belief and there's nobody in charge of keeping the belief going. And probably if you feel it's fair to you, it probably isn't fair to somebody else, your belief. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's all so, everybody's concerned with is that it's fair. That's not fair. Yeah. To me, yeah, <laughs> that's what yeah. people are saying when they're saying it's not fair. <laughs> yeah, when people are arguing so, so, fairness, yeah, yeah. But so anyway, it's really I think the chat G. There's something special about this particular technological breakthrough because it's it really is tapping into an existing knowledge base manipulated yeah. by individual creativity. Yeah, I was thinking about what the I was overlaying like if we because we're certainly personifying it. So I was starting to think what would be the Myers Briggs type of Chat GPT, and as far as you know, introvert or extrovert, sensing or intuitive thinking or feeling, judgment mm-hmm. or perception, and I think that it would be an ISTJ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would be an introverted. Sensing, meaning guided by all of the reality, the world of what's known kind of thing. Thinking, not feeling, and judging, having rules, and, you know, guided by of yeah. keeping them. And then I was thinking, what would be the, what would be the Colby of chat GPT, if you think, if we're personifying it? What would be, you know, be a 10 fact finder? You know, be high on follow through, but how? Yeah. What, how does, what about the quick start of a of a Chat GPT of AI? Well, and well, I think I think the new applications would be driven by the quick starts. But you'd have to. But you, do you bring well, your own? I'll give you. you uh, bring... I'll give you an idea. I've got a Babs has a birthday coming up on the twenty third of January. Uh-huh. So I, I said to Gord Vickman, who's my podcast manager, I said, Gord, get our printed biography of Babs the way that we publish it on our website, because she has a bio page on the website. And uh-huh. I said, simply take it and run it through chat GPT in the style that Donald Trump wrote it. 
Donald Trump wrote okay. Uh, okay. the GPT. And yeah. then, and he did it in like three minutes and it came back and it was great. You know, it was really great. It had, it had considerably altered it from the way it was written, you know, in the, on the podcast. I mean, it had real Trumpish flair to it. And, Absolutely. you know, it's a tremendous influence. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And it's the other thing was I said, okay, now I bet there's AI programs out there that can simulate famous people's voices, yeah. aren't there? And he says, yeah, I think there are. I says, go find a Trump voice and have Trump read what he wrote. Yeah. Okay. And it was really good. It was really good. I mean, I mean, it wasn't perfect, but if you played it to somebody, they would immediately got the connection that this is a Trump imitator, if anything. I mean, you would say this is a Trump imitator. And that took about Five seconds. Well, it took the time it took him to talk it through. Find it, you right. know, and everything. And I was really charmed with it. I was really charmed. That's something. I mean, you know, the. I'm starting to see that it's not. This is like a quick start amplifier. Uh, yeah. You know, it's bring. It's giving quick start an artificial. You know, dialing up the fact finder, follow through, and implementer of a quick start because it's not it doesn't have it on its own the best outcomes are going to come from you've got to bring the idea to the to the chat gpt everything is possible i said to eben i had a nice chat with eben pagan this week and i was saying how it feels like this you know chat prompting is going to be very soon the new piano lessons, you know, that I think that kids mm-hmm. are going to be taking, spending an hour learning, you know, chat AI prompting skills to create things as opposed to learning. Yeah, they're going to compose. Theory and, yeah. yeah, they're going to compose things, you know. Do you think we can take a minute because I'm going to run up and get my computer and I'm going to play what we actually came up with? Would Absolutely. You, uh, yeah, yeah. Let's we, do it. I'm just going to do it. For, I'll be up and down in a minute here, but I'm just okay. No I, problem. I, I, okay bye.
great place for your mind to go. Just my thinking about the ramifications of this. Where does this head? Like, what if we push the accelerator pedal here? And where are we going to land? Like right now, the easy, low-hanging fruit is you can see that we're literally going to be coming up on a, we're going to have a surge of, I think, in a lot of ways, mediocre digital content created, you know, especially well, in books you and know, e-books. You know, and, yeah. Just based on my wants, because I myself do not want to involve myself with this technology. Right. You know, like. Like I expressed this to Gordon, Gord had it with me in five minutes. Well, yeah. that's my general approach to all technology. I take a interested, enthusiastic, who? skillful human, uh, who? and I right. who and I put him in between. And yeah. I can't see myself budging off my standard approach to any tech any technology. I, I hear you. I get it exactly. You know what? I'm going to spend the a whole. Feel. I'm going to spend a whole day doing this. No, I'm not going to spend. Right. Yeah, I'm going to read. I'm going to read British detective stories. That's what I'm going to be doing, <laughs> or creating a new, creating a new exercise for the program, or right. finish creating a new quarterly book. So this doesn't uh-huh. alter my behavior in the least, but it it gives me an idea for encouraging people who are naturally drawn in this direction to get really good at this so that I can give them suggestions on things and they can come back with a finished product in a matter mm-hmm. of minutes rather than in the matter of a week or a month. Yeah, I like this. Like that's the way I'm saying is I'm thinking yeah. about this uh, executive producer kind of role. Yeah. My, my yeah. role in this is I just want to come up with the, once we know what it's capable of, then yeah. that's where we can let the creativity come of you having the idea that what if we did Donald Trump reading an intro of Babs? That would yeah. be great. But now the thought, the time it took you to think that, you know, that's the imagine if you applied yourself formula. That was just that a few seconds, you know. Yeah, um, you imagine, yeah. you imagine that would be something interesting. Okay, well, if that's true, what needs to, yeah. uh, we need to find the thing. And then you applied, hey, Gord, do this yourself, your sphere. Yeah. Gord's in your sphere. Yeah. And you just established, you just used your leadership. Yeah. That's a, I think that's the way we're heading here. You know, I can't see myself, you know, prompting, do hand feeding in prompts to and playing with and editing the stuff you know you think because you got to understand the limitations too like none of your quarterly books could be written by an ai that's not no even the thought for what the book is about you know that's not you know i was reading thinking about your thinking that there's no ai that could have written that book even with any prompting but what you've set up in a way is your team and the way we do the 90-minute books is really the way of, you know, you're the actual intelligence that is being prompted to put out the content orally, you know, that digitizing mm-hmm. it through speaking it. And that becomes the, the thing. It's maximizing mm-hmm. your output. 
See, what I'm thinking, because I've been reading these articles and I started this book by this Italian, and there, I think there's a considerable number of people in the world who find other people's unpredictable freedom very threatening to them. And that's what I think techno-fascism is. It's to get a hold on the general population in such a way that any new thought that might threaten the status quo of the corporate or the government establishment would be made illegal, would be made illegal. And it could be technologically prevented, technologically Mm -hmm. prevented. You cannot talk that. And so my feeling is that the great fear is that nobody's out of the blue, like Mr. Beast. Mr. Beast is a nobody out of Mm -hmm. the blue, suddenly creates an entirely new entertainment form and then takes that entertainment form knowledge and moves it right into the commercial world with Mm -hmm. Mr. Beastberger and everything. And corporate executives dread that type of person coming along that might totally make what they're doing obsolete you know, obsolete. And my feeling is that there's a great fear. And I was thinking, I had a conversation with Peter Diamandis about this with Google. And he says, well, they're the ones, he says, they've been on top of AI, you know. And I said, you probably, you know, I said to him, you know, they haven't mastered probably in terms of what they want to do, but there may be, you know, 18-year-olds out there, 19-year-olds now, who are creating new things that Google will not be because they have 30 or 40 years under their belt, that they're too bureaucratic to be able to respond to some new things that are happening in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, before before there was Google, before there was Microsoft, before there was Apple of the 800 pound gorilla in the electronics world, computer world, was IBM. Who even talks about IBM anymore? I mean, right. who even brings up the topic? Well, IBM yeah. was the, gar- the gargantuan on the planet. It was the King Kong of computerization right. in the 70s. And nobody even talks about it. I says, don't you think there will be some very inventive, enthusiastic young person or groups of young people or networks of young people who are innovators now who will create an entirely new form out of chat GPT and the other, you know, other sort of relevant AI programs that would just make Google something that people don't even talk about. You know, I'm not saying it disappeared. Microsoft hasn't disappeared. It's just that IBM hasn't disappeared. They're a big company and, you know, they're a prosperous company, but nobody ever talks about them as being relevant. Well, I think just like the, I think that the chat GPT, the AI, all of that, like the, that kind of interface with AI and apparently the new, you know, GPT-4 is 500 times more, you know, access to 500 times more knowledgeable than current one. It's just the ring fence, you know, portion of the top 20% kind of thing of the known stuff. Yeah. And I think that just like the iPhone lent itself to the iOS 
thing lent itself mm. to a platform that created apps <clears throat> that I think it's going to be all the overlays on top of that AI access. I mentioned that we watched that movie, Her, again, with Joaquin Phoenix and it, how his, you know, he has a relationship with his operating system. So 10 years later, that movie is like, that's where we are right now. And he worked at a company called heartfeltletters.com. And it was him, you know, writing, they would write letters to, you know, on your behalf. And that's, I think, what there's an opportunity for me to overlay that on chat GPT to say, mm-hmm. write a heartfelt letter for my grandmother or, and tell it yeah. about this and this, or write a love letter, you know, that those kind of niche, you know, siphoning off doorways into the, the back end of the AI. It's almost like the way scientists have mapped the brain now to say, this is the portion for sound and this is the portion for that does sight, all of that. It's almost like being able to tap into AI for a specific purpose. You know, yeah, and yeah. It was really interesting. Hamish McDonald, my cartoonist, mm. just sent me a little AI program. It was called U.com. Mm. You know, very rudimentary, mm. not on the level of Chat GPT. But because I had, I was talking, thinking about Gutenberg, and we talked about Gutenberg last on the last podcast. And so I just said, show me all the articles and and. You know, this is at the same level of Google. Uh, so show me all the articles that are on the topic of Gutenberg's social impact, you know, uh-huh. and uh, and all of a sudden there are about 20 different articles. Okay. Wow. And then I said, write me a 500-word essay, the five most important impacts of Gutenberg on modern life. and you know, it was about 20 seconds, came mm-hmm. back, well-written, you know, perfectly mm-hmm. spelled, good sentence structure, and it was really useful. It was really useful. It got my you thinking. Or with a Sherpa? Were you doing this yourself or with a Sherpa? No, Somebody here, I mean, uh, this wasn't any more difficult. This wasn't any more difficult than interacting with Google. Yeah, that's what I mean. So you were doing the driving. Yeah, I was doing the driving and, you know, mm-hmm. I was doing the design of the search and, you know, design of the project. And yeah. But I do that already with humans, with impact filters and uh, fast filters and, you know, and everything like that. But I think that knowing what you want is a big, important skill yeah. here. Uh, being able to communicate crystal clear when you're talking to someone who's who's a who that you can give them crystal clear exactly what you want. And I, I haven't seen any technology that improves that skill. Right. I think you can have, I think in a lot of ways, that's what you're trying to do or enabling people. That's what thinking, that's what the tools are. The thinking. Thinking about are. your thinking. Yeah. Thinking about your thinking is that's really yeah. what it comes down to. Yeah. It's Trump that create the prompts, you know, that's yeah. really, the- I was, <laughs> yeah, I was on a podcast on Friday. I don't know if you've ever come across a coach client by the name of Tony D'Angelo. The name sounds familiar. 
Yeah, and he's got a company that's with universities and colleges, and I'm not entirely sure of the you know the the exact service or product that's being created. But he's, you know, he's been in coach about 10 years and uh, he's got a new podcast called Intellectual Capitalist. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this is the launch. And I was the launch. I was the launch guest for the yeah, first I love one. That name. And, Intellectual and, Capitalist. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he's, no, I'm sorry. I'm mistaking because I had something in the morning and it was with Shannon Waller. So we were doing mm-hmm. our, podcast series, which is called Inside Strategic Coach. And she, we usually do three. And she had a question. She says, Dan, you put an enormous emphasis on entrepreneurs getting in touch with their past and actually keep extracting value from their past so they can create value in their future. And she says, so why do you think the past is so important? And I said, why do I think my past is so important? And she says, yeah, you can start off there. And I said, because it's my property. <laughs> nobody, mm-hmm. else has the fo- nobody else has the foggiest idea what it is. Right. So it's, un- it's complete uniqueness. It's just unlimited uniqueness back there because nobody else has any of my experiences. Nobody has yeah. any of my thinking about my experiences. You know, and the thinking about your thinking book is a good example of that because yeah. I started off with something really important that happened to me when I was six years old, you know, which framed my life, you know, and, you know, I wasn't just a little, you know, a little object getting pushed around by adults. Right. Your mom giving you instruction. You do what you, yeah, reading. Yeah. Reading important than going to school. Points you in the right direction. That's right. Ice cream. Eating ice cream was more important than going to school. <laughs> Can you imagine, though, Dan, just think about the vector, you know, that at six years old, she nudged you that three degrees towards reading as the most important thing. And you play that out over the next 72 years. And yeah. here's where we are. I mean, that's a completely different, completely different place. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like a consistent life for me. You know, I mean, it's yeah. kind of like it's been like a one project life, you know. Yeah. And anyway, but it's really interesting because talking about this, you know, you know, I have my five panelists who are going to be there. I have Mike Koenigs is going to be one of the mm-hmm. panelists and Lior Weinstein. Met Lior. Have you met? I have. Probably. Yeah. One. And then it'll be Lee Richter and, and Evan Ryan, who is new to Free Zone, and uh, he's the youngest. And okay. so he's noteworthy for me because I'm 50 years older than he is. That's my wow. first entrepreneur that, that I've got 50 years on. Okay. But he's actually been in the. Um, practice of working with AI for clients for about four years. So he's got a lot wow. of practical experience. And then and then uh, Stephen Palter, who's using a lot of chat, GPT, fact-finding in that for his medical practice. Yeah. So, and I just said, just tell everybody how you're putting it to practical use in your business and how you see this as changing your game and 
how you see that you can get bigger and better results by using this and where it fits into your general game plan of what you're trying to achieve and how it introduces greater productivity, you know, just to tell everybody what it is. That's great. Yeah. And then we'll have everybody brainstorm and then we'll do the triple play. We'll do the triple, everybody will do the triple play, you know. These are three things, and then connect. Why is this important? Why is this important? Why is this? And then we'll have a general, you know, Q and A, general discussion with it. So I think it'll thing. But the, you, you got to talk your way into. You got to talk and think your way into something like this. You know, it's yeah, um, it's true. There's always going to be people who will do the technology for you. Yeah, anything. Well, it's that. You know, that was the big distinction of challenges and technical challenges that that whole thing once some once somebody figured out how to do something it's immediately become a technical challenge which is you know who eligible there's like who knows how yeah. already yeah yeah so much excitement well, dan what's, it's uh, a what's marvel, coming yeah. but it's it's i mean it's neat witnessing it yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, one of the things when I was growing up, I would ask people, what was seeing an airplane like? And I was talking to people who had been right. running around the turn of the, uh, you know, right around 1900. And, you know, <laughs> they, in the f- first 10 years, they were children. And that's when there were yeah. cases where somebody flying in an airplane could be seen. And they said it was, it transformed you. When you could yeah. see it and when, when you saw it, you know, and yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and you know, it was illegal. It was illegal what Orville and Wilbur Wright did. You know, it's illegal. Did you? Right. Oh, right. <laughs> illegal. They didn't have pilot's licenses. That's right. They were flying without a license. You know. Well, not only that, but they didn't. You're have not allowed any to do flight. that at the beach. <laughs> they didn't even. They, they had no flight time, you know. They had no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything's made up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, this is so great, Sam. Well, these, yeah. I, uh, these conversations, I just find them so. They stimulate my thinking. Well. You know, we created the dinner table with "Welcome to Cloudlandia," and then we got a big whopping. A whopping piece of new fresh meat on the absolutely <laughs> we do it's on the table finally, you know finally everybody caught up with us <laughs> yeah anyway i'll be on next week if you're okay we're yeah, for sure. here and then we're going to new orleans for we're our first meeting with richard rossi's da vinci 50 group so oh nice uh, okay great and then we'll That's be in Palm Beach. We'll be in Palm Beach the first week of, and we're going to spend some days free in Palm Beach so instead of spending them free in Arizona this year. We're going to spend them. Okay, good. For, when do you? So, well, we'll connect offline. I'll give you the schedule. Arrive. I'll give you the schedule. And yeah, I'm uh, early too. And then I'll be- send you. I'll send you a fast filter for your presentation 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Mr. Beast would be a wonderful topic. Even today, people don't know who he is, you know, in coach. No, exactly. I think that there's, yeah, there's, and there's a couple of others that are. And uh, you can put together some videos and yeah. everything. And then some news, like he was offered a billion dollars yes, to, to take him out of the game, actually. That's what it was. Yeah. It was a bi- billion dollars to take him out of the game. Yes, I love it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's great. Have a great week, Dan. Okay. Thanks. Bye.